Have you ever noticed how a person can be far from God and their life seems to be just kind of cruising along, but then suddenly the reality of God's presence just kind of rushes at them with alarming speed. I've noticed this on a, a number of occasions. It's, uh, it's almost like a, a surprise attack from on high, as though the Lord has been crouching in the shadows, watching and, and waiting for his moment. And then when it comes, there's no stopping him. He's, he's going for his prize and the person is just swept off their feet, never to be the same again. Our... Um, our treasurer, Chris Endicott, I remember years ago, probably about eight years ago or so, when he, he, he came to faith and I'm just talking to him one night and he just said, I don't know what I used to think about because all I can think about now is God. And it was, it was like that for him. It was like out of nowhere. He, just, he didn't expect this thing to happen. Then out of nowhere, bam, it just all happened and his whole life was was turned around. And I, I know a number of you have shared your conversion stories with me and they've been a bit like that. Out of nowhere you found God or, or more accurately, he found you. Another thing I've noticed, at those times when God comes hunting for those who are his, the enemy also comes hunting. You know, Jesus called him a roaring lion, roaming the earth, looking for people to devour. That's what Jesus said about our enemy, the devil. And that's exactly what it's like. A, a person can be so close to giving themselves to Christ and the enemy will swoop in and turn them away. And we're going to look at an example of one of these situations recorded for us in the book of Acts. So as we continue our series, let's turn to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now I love this about the Bible, that it doesn't just kind of give us abstract stories out there. These are grounded in time and space, and it gives us the actual people. It tells us something about them. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it names them Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. This says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after praying and fasting, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the leaders of the church at Antioch, those who were given the spiritual gift of, gifts of prophecy and teaching, were seeking the Lord's will on what they would do next. And they gathered together to pray, to fast, to worship and to see what the Lord might say to them. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, in other words, they had set themselves apart from all other distractions, even eating, to, to focus on God and to hear his will for them. And as they were doing that, the Lord said to them, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they sent some more, spent some more time seeking God and finally they laid hands on them and sent them off to do what God had called them to do. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So do you see what's happened? 
The Holy Spirit sent them out. They didn't really know what was going to happen. They had the gospel message in, in here. They had the Holy Spirit in here. They knew they were being sent, so they went. But they didn't know exactly to whom they were going just yet. That they simply proclaimed the word of God as they went. The text says, when they'd gone through the whole island of Cyprus. Just think about that for a moment. They must have been systematically making their way across the whole island. Think of all that is encapsulated in those few words. Think of all the conversations, all the, all the meals shared. Think of all the good deeds done in the name of Christ. Think of all the rejections. Think of all the persecutions they probably suffered along the way. But also think of those who, as a result, discovered new life in Christ as they journeyed with God across the island of Cyprus. What a model for ministry. What a great model for ministry. Pray, fast, worship. Hear what God is saying. See what God is doing. And watch where he's going. Pray, fast, go with God. Lead others to know Jesus. What a model for ministry. You know, we have lots of these kind of stories happening at Lakes. But one that I've been, I guess, a bit close to over the, the last probably five or six years involved a guy by the name of Sean who came, just kind of came into our church. There's a bit of a story about how he came in. But he's a bit of a funny kind of guy. He's been a, a long-term drug user and he's got some real mental health issues. And, and over the years, I mean, Sean has become probably one of my best mates. He really is. He's a very close friend. But Sean was in a really bad way when we kind of found Sean. And a whole lot of you got involved in helping Sean because he had nothing. He had nothing at all. And I've got to tell you, he was in such a desperate situation of need that I was very, very close to just turning and walking away and saying, I can't deal with this. I really can't. But I got this kind of sense that God was really on my case and uh, about doing something for, for Sean. And, and I guess the turning point for me was I, I thought there's no way I would leave my son Brendan in the situation that Sean was in. I just wouldn't. I would do whatever I had to do to help him. And so a whole lot of you got involved and we gave Sean everything that he had because he didn't have anything. And then we got him into the caravan park up here and that was a bit of a trial to get him in there. And then we just kind of blessed him. And then the caravan park managers saw what our church was doing for Sean and said, hey, you don't have anything for young people, do you? Because we've got some young people. And, and so they came and connected with our church for a little while, the young adults. But then there was an opportunity where I said to them, hey, can I be the chaplain in the park? And so eventually they said yes. And so for two years I just went into the park and just did what I could do, just built some relationships with people. But then God said to me, I want you to pull right back and I want you to trust other people to get this thing going. And I have to confess, I did say to God, well, if it falls over, it's on your head. <laughs> Anyone I pull back and say, no, no, I won't go in there. I'll leave it to other people. And of course, that didn't happen. It didn't fall over. It flourished. And so we now have this wonderful ministry that's happening in the caravan park up there. We have all this food that goes in there. You all know the story. And so two mornings a week, there's a cafe in there and 
and great things are happening. And then out of all of that, God keeps opening up other, other areas of ministry. I mean, Sean has now moved out of that park and he now is in a housing commission kind of complex down at the entrance. And I go down there and see him and I've become this kind of pseudo-chaplain to the, this complex down there. And, you know, I'm building relationships with all the, the guys down there who most of them are alcoholics. And, and so God is doing great things there. But also we've got God is opening up other areas like restoring dignity, which has really come out of what's happening here in the park. And who knows where else it, it will go. So God does amazing things. But we'll talk about all that a bit later. But they had worked out what God was doing and they joined him in what God was doing. That, that is the key point. They, they send out Barnabas and Paul for the work God had for them. Verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who's a Roman proconsul, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So as they were travelling, as they were sharing the word of God, they were clearly having an impact. They must have. It seemed the Holy Spirit was empowering this revival that was taking place. How do we know that? Well, clearly something was happening to arouse the attention of the Roman proconsul. Paul and Barnabas, if you think about it, were nobodies. They were just nobodies in the Roman world. I mean, it would, it would just be unthinkable for the, the Roman governor to summon these men to come and talk to him unless something very public was happening. They had no human authority. They had no political standing. They had no religious establishment behind them. They were unknowns. But Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul, appears to have had a relationship with this magician, this Jewish false prophet, Maybe he was like Cornelius, the, the uh, centurion from Caesarea, a, a Roman uh, interested in the Jewish faith. We don't know. All we're told is that he summoned Barnabas and Paul to hear the word of God. And as they shared the gospel, this fellow, Elymas the magician, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now have a very careful look at what happened next. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now here we have some new, new terminology that we really have to understand. Some new terminology, I guess, in the New Testament. What is meant by the straight paths of the Lord? And how are they made crooked? 
Now, I say we must understand this because this really is the underlying theme of the whole book of Acts. This verse here kind of encapsulates the central theme. But it's not just about a, like a scholarly endeavour to understand a book of the Bible, to better understand Acts. We must understand this because to fail to understand this whole concept of the straight paths of the Lord is to actually misunderstand the role of the church. To, to fail to understand this is to so pervert your thinking that you will completely misunderstand what God is about. In John's Gospel, in chapter 3, we read these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, get this, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The mission of God is a search and save mission. And he calls us to join his mission. That is the mission of God. It is a search and save mission. Mission is not just something that God does. Mission is part of who he is. He is the missional God. He is the missio dei. It's so important that we get this right, that we truly understand what's happening here. You see, sometimes we can look at it a little bit differently and, and it, can, it can really mess us up. I need some people to help me kind of paint a bit of a picture up here. I need some volunteers. Now, I need someone. I need someone who's very rebellious and sinful. Jordan, <laughs> come up here. No, he's not really. He's my lovely boy. But today, you're a filthy sinner. Far from God. Okay. Now, Jordan's going to be there. Now, I need some people to kind of be the church. John and Julie, Philip being the church. You can come up here. Shantini, Philip being part of the church. Here where two or three are gathered. You need two or three. Now, these guys, you can stand here. You can be kind of the church. We can get this idea. We can get this idea that, that we're on a mission. That we've got this mission and we've got to save lost people. And so this group, the church, can see this guy and they can say, "What? We're, we're on a mission, we know what we've got to do. And they will go and they will do their thing. And as they do that, they might get off track and they might start doing something else along the way. I remember years ago talking to someone who started up this this missional kind of thing in their church called Tuesday Leisure Time. And, you know, it was all about people getting together to do craft because they were going to reach out to lost people. Anyway, their 25th anniversary came up. And I said to this person, wow, over 25 years, how many people do you think have been saved through this, this ministry? And they went, oh, there was this woman, Ellen, who came... You know, she came about 15 years ago, once or twice. I thought, man, you've got off target, haven't you? You've, got to, you've kind of got off your mission. You see, it all became about leisure on Tuesday, but not about the mission. So that's the thing. The church can have this idea of reaching. Lord, would you come with us on our mission to save this person? That's not really biblical. 
uh, that, that is wrong theology. Let, let me show you actually how it works from a, a biblical perspective. Now, I need a couple more people. I need someone to be the Father, God the Father. Ian? You can be God the Father, mate. Come on up here. And I also need someone to be the Son. Josh, you feel like being Jesus? Come up here. Come on, Josh. And um, we need someone to be the Holy Spirit. Lynn, you look like the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I guess. Okay, now, you see the picture we're painting here. I want you just to, from, from the scriptures, the Father, God the Father, sees the lost sinner. He sees the lost sinner. When? Well, have a look. In Ephesians 1, 3, 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Do you see the significance of that? The Father sees Jordan before the creation of the world. And he starts planning, how am I going to find him and save him and restore him to me? That's what it says. The Father chose to find and save you before the foundation of the world. The Father then sends the Son to die for that person. The Father sends the Son, where? Into the world to seek and save that person. That is, to, in a sense, to buy them back for himself. We read this, this verse a, a, a minute ago. For God so loved the world, the world full of people like Jordan and me and you, that he sent his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The father doesn't just send the son, however. And this is, I think, the beautiful thing. It's not as though the father sits here and says, you go and do that. The father and son go together. See, they, they actually go. They start just stay there. They start going together. Have a look. Have a look. This is what Jesus said. The one who sent me, this is John 8. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Do you see? The father is not just the sender. The father is actually the sent one as well. And he actually goes with the Son. And then the Father and Son, Jesus does his work on the cross, which is what it all hinges on. But then, look at this, the Father and Son then send the Holy Spirit to baptise the church. So the Holy Spirit comes over here and baptises the church. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Within us. With, actually, within us. Have a look. Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then John 14, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus speaking, speaking will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit is in here working in the church, and they all go together. Do you see the pattern? The Father sends the Son and then goes with him into the world. The Father and Son send the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit do what? They send us. 
They send us, the church, into the world and they go with us. They actually go with us to seek and save the lost sinner. Thank you, team. We've painted that beautiful picture. You can sit down. Do you see how important it is that we know that? Theologian David Bosch writes this. He says, Mission is not primarily an activity of the church. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. You see, that is what it is like to be God. He's actually, from the very beginning, he is in relationship, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Within himself, he is in relationship. And then in order to restore the relationship, he works in relationship with the church as we go. And there is no church other than relationship. Everything happens through relationship. Everything. I mean, even the creation event for every human being is actually caused because of the relationship between a man and woman. There is no other way. And we are then in relationship from the very beginning. You grow in your mother's womb in relationship. You come out and where are you? You're in a family. You learn to be a human being through relationship. It's all about that. Jorgen Moltmann says, It is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfil in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that happens to include the church. You see, there is church because there's mission, not vice versa. There's a church. We are part of the church because there's a mission. And that mission stretches back to when? To before the creation of the world. It actually stretches back before time. And it's because of this reality that local churches are literally left behind. We can be left behind. God is on a mission. And if you want to have your own mission, your own agenda... Believe me, God will move on without you because what matters is his agenda, his mission. Now, I'm not saying that he will leave you personally. The scriptures tell us that he will never leave you or forsake those who are his. But his blessing will not be on our mission if it is not his mission. You see that? If a church says to itself, we just want to see out our days together, singing songs that we like, listening to preaching that reminds us about how blessed we are to be saved and going to heaven together when we die, we want to enjoy lovely fellowship together. And we really don't want too many newcomers because, oh, they just, they can smell really bad and they just can muck up the whole apple cart. And I'd just so much rather be part of a club. We're all going off to heaven together. Let me tell you. They are no longer the church. They are nothing more than a group of people calling themselves the church, but they are not the church. God is on a mission. And if you want to have your own mission, your own agenda, he will move on without you because what matters is his agenda and his mission. And that is what is referred to as the straight path of the Lord. See, the straight path of the Lord to the Roman proconsul 
included Barnabas and Paul. They were chosen by God to bring the message of salvation to this man, this Roman, Sergius Paulus, and then this Elymas, the magician, tried to turn things away to make the straight path crooked. If you think about it, the earth must just be full of straight paths, like spaghetti <laughs> everywhere in the mind of God as he makes his way to people. I mean, only God could possibly see and comprehend all of that complexity. Only God can fully see what he is doing in the world. We must understand this. And it, we, we must understand is that it is God's mission, not ours, and we are called to be part of it. And we have a tiny, tiny, tiny little part to play and God doesn't even need us to play it. As though God needed anything. God actually chooses to bless us by calling us to be involved in what he is actually doing, already doing, to save a lost world. So Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the, name, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And as soon as he had, this was spoken, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he was blind. And he went around looking for people to lead him. But then verse 12, Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? That God actually takes the very person who opposed him and uses him to kind of finally clinch the deal with the Roman proconsul. See, God actually took the, the opposition, laid it down and made it part of his straight path. For the Roman proconsul, in a sense, needed to see that to come to faith. So often that is what happened. God takes the work of the enemy and in a sense lays it down and makes it part of the road and of course the classic example of this is Jesus' death on the cross you think about the enemy the enemy is trying to find who is this who is this young boy that's been born he must have thought surely he would be born into the palace or you know, the enemy must have been thinking, who is it? Who, the angels are suddenly singing about this baby. And so they're trying to kill all the babies. And, and, they're trying to, so he, and then finally he works out, because Jesus comes out. 30 years later he appears and basically starts doing all these wonderful things. The enemy goes, that's the one. It's that guy there, that carpenter. I mean, even John the Baptist went, you're kidding. My cousin. Yes, he's the one. <laughs> and he baptises him. So the enemy must have been thinking, I've got him. I've got him. I'm going to put him to death on the cross. Yes! And then very quickly, he rises from the dead. He comes out of the tomb. The enemy must have been going, no! You see, what was apparently the greatest victory, the death of the Son of God, gets laid down, doesn't it? on the road, in a sense, and becomes the way, the straight path. It becomes the way through the cross of Christ. It's awesome, isn't it? So we've got to see this in our own life because 
what does this mean for us today? Well, all this says to us at Lakes, I think, right now is at least two things. It says, God is searching and saving. He's a searching and saving God. He is a God on a mission. He has straight paths which lead to faith. He's still sending us to seek and save the lost with him. He's not aloof. He's not passive or indecisive. He is never in maintenance mode. God is never just cruising, coasting, drifting along. He is sending, pursuing, searching, saving, and he calls us to join with him in that. And if we don't join him, he will, in a sense, leave us behind because he is on a mission. Second point. Second point is this. There will always be people and situations which will be trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. We keep on thinking that this new thing we're doing will somehow be easy. We keep thinking that, that, oh, we're going to have this smooth bit of asphalt laid out for us. It never is. It never is. It's always difficult because the enemy continues to attack us. The enemy will continue to try to get us off mission. There will always be persecutions. There will always be Herods, in a way. There will always be Elemises. But the point again and again is this. God makes persecution a launching pad for mission. So expect it. But God takes Herod out of the way. He strikes Elemis blind. He carries his missionaries forward along the straight paths of faith. faith. So we have this tremendous reason to be hopeful and confident in this. God's goal is straightforward and simple. It's not terribly complex, is it? It's really pretty simple. God's goal is to return his children to himself. And if we join him on that straight path, he will clear the way. He is on the move. You know, as I mentioned before, I believe God is making straight paths to people living in our community through the ministries of this church. The Oasis Caravan Park in Canwell and the emergency ward up at Wyong Hospital are just a couple of examples. But he's opening up doors in lots and lots of other places as well. For many years, we've had teams of people going into our local schools teaching scripture. And week after week, faithful people go in there and they share the gospel with kids. That is just making straight paths, isn't it? Into the hearts and minds of little kids. And that, that is just wonderful. Our youth and children's ministries are reaching out to young people week in and, and, and week out. I had a meeting on Friday night that's normally on Thursday night. And uh, one of the guys at the meeting came and he said, man, what's going on at the church? <laughs> I said, that's youth group. It happens every week and has done for years. That's making straight paths into the community. Our seniors ministry, what is about 30 years now, you guys have been meeting every Tuesday. You come here and the car park's full. There's elderly people being reached. Our ladies fellowship is reaching out. Our home Bible study groups are doing the same thing. Just simple everyday kind of stuff. Just inviting people into the groups, doing life. With, with them. Point is this we are his emissaries, his ambassadors, his missionaries. And isn't it wonderful to know that he doesn't just send us out in his name, he actually goes with us. He goes with us because we're essentially joining with him on what he is doing. Let's pray together, then we're going to share communion. Lord, what a wonderful reality that is. That part of your nature 
is that you seek and save the lost. You are the God on a mission. Lord, I pray that we would continually see that before us and that in no way would we be distracted and get off the mission that you're on in a sense that we would walk away from what you're doing. Lord, keep us focused. And I pray especially for our church over the coming months because I know that it's in times like this of transition that the enemy will do everything he can to get in and to kill and destroy and and wreak havoc. So I pray for protection for our church in these coming months and that you would lead, lead us together to find the next person who you are bringing to lead this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could those who are serving come forward and uh, begin distributing the elements, please? As they're doing that, I think it's really good for us to be reminded that, that these elements, which are just from the table that is shared every night for families, it's just such a simple thing, isn't it? Bread and wine, you know, bread and juice. It's just there. It's, it's the kind of earthy stuff of everyday life. And, and yet in this symbol, we find here, in these symbols of the loaf, broken, and in the juice, we find the symbols of, of God's mission, don't we? This is the core of God's mission. The Father sends the Son. And this is what the Son did. He came and died on a cross. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the most vivid image that we have of God, the, the most startling, kind of clear image we have of God, is the horror of a cross. But, but that is actually the clearest image we have of what, God, what is God like? It's the cross. And so here we have the elements that help us to remember that. That that is the core of what this is all about. The seeking, saving mission of God that at its kind of pivotal turning point is the cross. So take some time to, to take the bread, spend some time with God yourself. Thank, thank him for his body. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is my blood that cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So let's share the bread. We'll share the cup together in a moment as a symbol of our unity together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. It amazes us that something that happened so long ago can have such power and be so effective in us living thousands of years later. But we know deep within us that that is the case. That, that that moment in time and space when you hung on a cross has changed millions of lives and has transformed our world in a way that nothing else can. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us.
as we share the cup now, Lord, we thank you for your blood, which does what nothing else can do. Actually cleanse us of sin. It can wipe us clean. Our past, our present and our future are wiped clean because of your blood. Oh, we thank you for your blood shed for us. Let's share the